Hi, and welcome to Beyond Parking, a podcast brought to you by the British Parking Association. My name's Joey, and I'm here today with Julian, and we both work in the technology, innovation, and research team. So welcome back to, I think it must be the fifth episode of Beyond Parking. Is that right, Joey? It is, yeah. It's the fifth one. Time flies. I'm sure we'll stop counting after a while, but I think it's great that it's, it's developing momentum and a following, and uh, nicely complementing the lovely webinars that are going out there uh, on our website. Today, we speak to the BPA chair, Nigel Williams, who has many other hats, including an architect by training, uh, an active member of the European Parking Association, and someone who's heavily involved in working with the government to open up parking data to benefit both operators and the the driving public alike. What did you find particularly interesting in in this discussion, Joey? I mean, as someone who grew up also wanting to be an architect, I found the architecture side of it quite interesting. Um, And also we touched on sustainability and the importance of sustainability in parking and the way that parking spaces and underground indoor parking places can be used within in the future. And at one point you somehow made a link between parking and mushrooms. We did, yes, that's uh, that's what happens when I'm researching. the parking sector I seem to find out about a whole host of random things. So you'll have to listen to find out what that's all about folks. Yeah. Yeah let's do it. All right over to the interview. Hello Nige, great to have you on the podcast this afternoon. And Uh, um, it's good to be here, yes. Let's let's go right back to the start, shall we? Very interested to hear how you uh, ended up in parking. Not many people are born into parking, shall we say, uh, and uh, I'm aware you've got an architecture background. If you could tell us a bit about that. Curiously, from the age of about, I don't know, 11 or so, I, I decided I wanted to be an architect. And um, I thought I was like making things and doing things and whatever. So I, um, um, I was very focused and uh, uh, decided I wanted to, uh, to, to study architecture and, and decided I wanted to do it in Cambridge, interestingly. Uh, which did have a good school in those days. Yes, 1973, I ended up for uh, 24 other people. It was a very small school then, studying architecture in Cambridge uh, for three years as an undergraduate. Uh, architects um, still now, I think, do an undergraduate degree and then they go off and work in an architect's office for a year and then come back and do a, what's called a diploma for another two years. And then they have to do another year sort of like articling, if you like, for an architect and then they're fully qualified. So after my three years... There were um, there was very very little work for architects in the UK, and uh, I I tried getting a few jobs uh, or tried interviewing a few times for jobs and whatever, and didn't get anywhere. And a friend of mine uh, was living in Paris, making a living teaching English, and so I thought he said to me, "I oh, know I'd come over, you know, I'd get a job, whatever." So cut a long story short, that's what happened. I found myself in Paris, uh, taking the year out, right. Um, and there I met up with some, some engineers and uh, met up with lots, lots of folks, um, including my future wife. So uh, uh, I took one year out and then by that time I got involved with other things, as I say, including my wife, future wife, and uh, decided to stay for two years. Um, and then uh, I did go back sort of part time more or less to, to finish my diploma. And by that time, I'd started doing various, I had my own company and was doing various things. And the various things were involved uh, actually doing um, what's called curtain walling, i.e. manufacturing uh, curtain walling, which is, you know, basically the facade you get on buildings. Long story is how I got into that, but anyway. 
And uh, from that, um, when the company went bust, as those type of companies tend to do, um, and by that time, uh, Jan was pregnant and we, we needed some money, um, I, I got a job with a, with a French architect on a huge, huge project in, in Paris that had, I think it was 18,000 square meters of, uh, of facades. And they wanted somebody that, in theory, knew about it. And so uh, my architecture training and that, and the fact there were some English guys involved as well, you know, that was a French uh, thing. So I got involved with that. And through them, I got to know the, the, the main contractor really well. And at the end of the sort of three years of the, the main part of the project, they approached me and said, would you like to come and work for us? Uh, and so I said, yes. And it was for their international division. And uh, their international division was actually involved with a scheme in Dallas. And part of this project was uh, a, a building that basically had a, it, it had some retail or whatever it was on the ground floor, a car park and a nightclub on the top. And so I got involved with the design or dealing with this car park. I wasn't designing it. We were, you know, we were, we were looking to do, develop the project with a Swiss developer. And my, my sort of reaction to the thing was, well, local, you know, um, multi-story car park, what could be easier, you know, uh, how boring. And, and through that, I actually got through the project. So I got involved uh, in the sort of more political, if you like, side of, uh, of, of parking. And in particular, the main contractor, uh, which was a company which has now become uh, Vinci or Vinci, as known in France, had a very big parking uh, operation, which they developed car parks and, and operated them. And so sort of by osmosis, I got involved with that and the project down in, uh, in Nice with them, which had uh, some complicated stuff around it. And so got involved with parking there. And then one day, because uh, I, I was the only Brit and certainly the only architect in there were f uh, about 1500 French engineers working in this, uh, in the head office. Okay. And it was kind of like there was, hey, we've taken on an architect. No. Yes, an architect. My goodness, and he's he's English. No. Yeah. So um, I, I after after about of I don't know, it was maybe a couple of years or more working for him there. One day I was walking down the corridor and the the, the president of the parking uh, bit sort of Williams calls me in and says Williams, uh, we, we were speaking French of course. He said, um, "You speak English, don't you?" I am. Um, no, 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 no. Because I could see what was coming. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah so, seriously, though, um, would you like to go over to uh, spend, you know, just have a, we've got some possible things over there with this company called NCP. Um, and uh, so I ended up, uh, first of all, working, I don't know, uh, half day every couple of weeks, and that turned into a day a week, and then two days a week, various things happened. So I was in the parking business. And at that time, a gentleman uh, called Grant started a, a company called Dundek. Um, but Grant was, uh, was president of BPA. And he was a very unusual president of BPA because he, he came from a company that actually put down coatings. He kind of revolutionized really the whole question of refurbishing car parts. I mean, the, the company still exists today. He sold it, but it's called USL, Structure Care. Grant said to me, he said, uh, Nigel, I, I think you should join the BPA. You know, it's, yeah. I think we can do some interesting things. And I'm sort of going, yeah, really? You know, it's pretty, pretty, you know, it used to be pretty NCP controlled in those days. It started off as, it was changing then, but it started off very much as an NCP club. So I got involved with the thing. And then somehow or other, 
show that they they were crazy in those days. A couple of years later, I guess it was, I got elected president. Maybe three or four years later, um, and that was how I got involved with the. Uh, with the BPA as well and the rest of it is history. So I wanted to be an architect when I was yeah, yeah. younger. I don't think people realise how much architecture and parking and kind of transport crossover. I remember being, in fact, this is the reason why I ended up not doing architecture. I was doing work experience for a company in Manchester and we ended up in the council buildings in this dark down in the yeah, basement yeah. kind of room with no yeah, windows, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, having a four hour discussion on where parking and the traffic lights should be with lots uh, of different architect, architects firms having this big discussion about where it where it should all go so I'm, i find it quite ironic now that i'm working in parking having originally decided not to go into architecture for that reason <laughs> well it's interesting isn't it yeah the the thing i like about parking is you know my, my first reaction about it was effectively from the architectural point of view you know, was, you know, what could be more boring than designing um, multi-story car parks? And um, one of my, my, my best buddy, um, a guy called Mark Potter, who uh, I was actually at architecture school with. So Mark set up his own practice, okay, and was, you know, doing serious things like designing housing and churches and schools and hospitals, things and whatever. Um, and... I had this small car parking project which I needed an architect and because I've always avoided designing car parks, right? So anyway, I got Mark involved with the thing and he has, has, has since got bitten by the bug and, you know, they, they, they do a lot of car parks. I mean, uh, they, won, they won, I forget how many awards, you know, BPA awards at various points for different projects of different types, you know. Um, so it can be really interesting. And Mark is very passionate about, um, you know, uh, car parks as being... Um, they, they should be positive elements in the urban environment, you know, which hasn't been the case, has it, frankly? I mean, you know, generally they, for all sorts of reasons. I mean, wh one of the things in the UK that's very different from, from the continent is that car parks are often, well, certainly by the private sector, are viewed as a sort of property business, right? They're a particular type of property business. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in, in, um, in Europe, even with the big companies, they're viewed much more as a public service, much closer to sort of concessions that you would get uh, for building motorways and things like that. There's, there's some fundamental differences between the approach to car parks uh, that you find in mainland Europe and the UK and the structure of the market is very different. Also, legislation is very different. So a nice juncture for us to uh, talk about your, your work with the EPA. I believe you're you're very well involved in it and have been for several years. Could you tell us a bit about the EPA and what your role is there? Yeah, I was desperately trying to think how it was I got involved with the EPA, actually. Since uh, September last year, I'm one of the two vice presidents of the EPA. Uh, so obviously I'm responsible for looking after EPA's relationship with the UK, with uh, also with North America and with Ireland. Again, I, my, my sort of... Um, portfolio as uh, so if you want to be uh, um, precise about it, it covers uh, uh, everything to do with data um, and 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 you know platforms and things I mean there are other people obviously in EPA that are interested in that but I've been uh, leaning on that for the last oh, I don't know five six six years or so I guess uh, until quite recently parking was always considered to be something or other that was a was it was a local issue and hence was not you know, I mean it was barely dealt with on a national level and certainly not 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 dealt with on a eu level yeah where you know it was it was up to local authorities to to do what they wanted basically 
Um, and now there's the, there, there is much more of a focus on um, because of the whole question of you know sustainable development and, and, and making mobility more sustainable. The the question of standards is something that I have been dealing with a, a lot with, uh, with 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 EPA for the last six years. Very often the other board members roll their eyes and go, "Oh, Nigel's on it again." But you know, <laughs> it is important stuff. I mean, standards are important. We don't realise it. You know, I mean, things like you can go out and buy a three A battery and it fits anywhere that needs a three A battery, right? And whether it's yeah. you know Fred Bloggs's or a Duracell or whatever, doesn't matter, does it? Yeah, it fits. Uh, and standards are very useful like that. And that's really what we need in the, in the parking industry is to have standards so that we can go out and buy 3A batteries and fit them in everywhere. If it's um, but what I was going to say was the, the, when you say the EPA is the, is the European equivalent of the BPA, it's not really correct in the sense of EPA was primarily in the beginning, and it's been going since about the early 90s, right? Um, it was, well, it still is an association of the national associations, okay? So there are 22 national associations that are members of EPA. And as of maybe five years ago, a little bit more, um, we also have uh, associate members that are um, basically um, corporation, um, uh, commercial entities. So you've got the big players, you know, the Indigos, the Apcoas, the... Uh, Shed and Backmans and whatever that have big, in, you know, international operations in Europe, they're associate members because they're also members, of course, through the, na the national associations because they're members of those national associations. You with me? But they they want to have a direct uh, impact on, on on what EBA does, um, and and it has it, it was in the beginning very much a uh, it was very much focused on uh, off street parking. Uh, even when because Nick Lester was president of uh, of EPA five six years ago, he was he was president for 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 six years, um, and he he did a lot to to to, to change the the mentality. But certainly before Nick, it was pretty much focused on 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 off street, um, and they didn't want to know about on street. I mean, like they didn't want to know about it, which has been interesting because there are people in there. I mean, like the city of Barcelona, uh, they're very active and have been. They have a uh, their parking is all run by an arm's length company, BSM. The company is wholly owned by the city, and they run car parks. And when I say they run them, they actually, you know, develop and build them. There are 48 car parks, I think, that they they actually run now. Um, they're, so they're the biggest operator by far in in Barcelona. Uh, they also um, they run the bike, you know, like the Boris bikes, whatever they're called now. Um, the um, their their equivalent they run there. Uh, they run the theme park, the Tibidabo. Uh, theme park they run the zoo um they run the, the the leisure port okay because where the where the olympics were there was a big you know olympic sailing thing and that, that that's yep. you know, now a leisure thing so they they, they, they run that i'm not sure where they run the buses as well I'm, I'm, maybe so anyway they they have always been i mean be, because of what they are as an entity they've always had a view of parking as being linked into mobility i mean going back i would say 15, 20 years before it was kind of fashionable, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and certain things they've done in 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 as as, as a sort of um, comprehensive, coherent approach to mobility, you know, uh, in 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 Barcelona, they've managed to reduce the um, the amount of people coming in by cars by I think it's about twenty percent or something over the years. You know, this is before COVID, whatever. But over the, you know, they've they've done a lot of things to 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 make the city. Uh, 
um, a reasonably pleasant place to live. I mean, having said that, there's quite a lot of pollution in Barcelona because the wind comes in from the sea and there's the mountains behind and it kind of all backs up there. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they, they had to do something about it. But in, tell in us a bit more about are the is EPA doing anything specifically about uh, the COVID response? Are they coordinating anything or is anyone leading by example of, of anything they're doing in parking in Europe? Yes, I mean, it's, it's, it's generally here. somewhat yeah. similar in the yeah. sense of, uh, you know, uh, everything fell off a cliff when some version of, um, of confinement happened. Right. right. And, 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 and generally, uh, you know, people are talking about revenues being down somewhere between 80 and 90%. So, you know, they're only left with somewhere between 10 and 20% of what they might normally have. Um, uh, the interesting exception, as we were talking about earlier is, is, is Sweden, um, where effectively they haven't had a lockdown, uh, imposed, uh, and their, uh, for what I gather, the, you know, their, 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 their revenues were sort of down more like 20%. Um, wow, that uh, is interesting. Yeah. yeah, it is. And, and which reflects obviously the, the, the approach they, uh, they've taken. Mm. Um, and I mean, it's a complicated one, that one in COVID, isn't it? You know, to what extent they maybe had the advantage of seeing what happened elsewhere. Cause you know, in Italy, it kind of hit them before anyone really understood what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. um similar uh, perhaps in spain and, and parts of france um but uh, uh the, the the responses are somewhat different so uh, you know when you start looking at europe and the uh the, the, trying to understand what's happening there's all sorts of intricacies that you kind of have yeah, to take into yeah. account so there's yeah. an interesting reflection of the, the criticism that there wasn't a european or an international wide response but you can see see the challenges there because yeah be running differently on so many different levels. Moving away from parking more generally, if you could give one piece of advice to UK companies based on what you've seen in the EU, what would it be? Oh, that's a very big question, isn't it, really? Well, I mean, hmm, there's one piece of advice I could give. I mean, it's curious, isn't it, that, that if you look at the major operators in the UK, quite a few of them are actually part of all European organisations, yeah? Yeah. Now, uh, NCP... Uh, of course, are owned by a Japanese organisation now, so it takes us a bit wider. I mean, it's 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 difficult to, to to sort of answer that question. I think because you know, if obviously what's happening in Europe is that there are certain countries that are ahead of us. If we're thinking about sort of um, you know things on the short term relative to COVID, there's t- two contradictory forces happening. I think is is the people that want to keep town and city centers let's say car free as a you know um uh, for, for biking and walking and heaven help us maybe for electric scooters um in paris yeah i mean they're all over the place in every sense um the the there's that sort of green agenda and then there's the the opposite force which is people not wanting to use public transport they want their own you know private transport and hence that driving people more towards, uh, excuse the pun, towards cars and, and car travel, and how those two things are going to are going to play out is, mm. is, is 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 going to be very interesting. I think. I'm aware you've been uh, also involved in um, the multi-vendor platforms and the the differences, particularly in the Netherlands, with the how yeah. the market can operate. Mm. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that and, and how it works there and, and what we could learn from that, perhaps? Yeah, I mean the the Netherlands have a thing called national parking register which uh, initially was set up by a cooperative of, of dutch local authorities to help them manage their on street and 
they effectively, they were assisted in this by the Dutch government, the Dutch equivalent of DVLA, which is a very different animal from the DVLA. Yeah. And they set up this platform, which is run by the, this cooperative. And, and basically, I think they're up to about 20 or so uh, different payment providers that you can pay for your parking in anyone now of, of 100 or so uh, Dutch local authorities, which is interesting because it start, there, there was a com- competition in the beginning between the, the, the publicly owned platform and at least one commercial platform. Uh, that was set up um, actually by Park Mobile, as they are now, um, now Park Now, and they've actually given up in 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 their in their original homeland of uh, of the Netherlands because it's this public platform, a public owned platform, if you like, that's taken over. And we've been looking for uh, for three, four years at least at this. Uh, and as you mentioned, I mean, we've been involved with the uh, with City of Manchester and and the, and the idea of a. Uh, a public platform in the UK, um, which is is um, the second phase of that is just about to kick off. So uh, uh, yeah, watch this space on that one. I mean, I I I, I, I genuinely believe that uh, uh, we will see more platforms, and I genuinely believe that we need a publicly owned platform because it, it, it ensures neutrality. I mean, there are yeah. lots of issues with it, um, but the advantages I think are huge. It does sound like it makes it easier for the uh, for the paying public for for the user experience, if you like. It does, and and the user experience in some ways uh, would still be through a uh, in most cases through a, a a a commercial entity, right? But so if you have a uh, um, you know if 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 you uh, have an account with uh, with Park Now, with Pay by Phone, with Whoosh, with uh, I don't know who else, uh, Just Park, uh, Happy Way, whoever. You could park in anywhere. That's the idea. You you could you know drive to to, to Newcastle, uh, Lands End, uh, at the railway station in Reading, etc. So you know instead of the thing now where you have now or any one of the boroughs in London, mm-hmm. um, and 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 that's sort of one of the ideas about this. And certainly it would make it a lot easier from that point of view. Yeah, so, so and you wouldn't have to have 15 different parking apps on your phone. And uh, Exactly. I mean, with, with one of them, in theory, you could do, you could go anywhere. And, um, and, and, and you will choose your app according to the, the functionality of the app and perhaps how much it costs you as well because the convenience sure, fee yeah. would be different yeah. and it would have other, other um, things bundled in with it, you know. I mean, maybe they've got a particular... Uh, that app has got a particular deal with with particular retailers or something that you like you know i mean right the world is going to change you know quite a lot and i think that's one of the things we're going to see uh post covid is you know obviously there's going to be a certain um uh, reluctance to uh to 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 use coins and touch machines and whatever's um which will probably over time dissipate but it's going to push i think you know the whole it's 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 going to accelerate let's put it that way i think the move towards um paying for your parking in a in a, in a different manner frictionless and, and payments i think is fr- the, exactly uh, fr- thank you yeah exactly yeah. frictionless payments i mean it's going to allow all sorts of things like dynamic pricing make that much easier as well and uh you know dynamic pricing is there's many things behind dynamic pricing it can be it can be what's really differential pricing you know, which is, you know, if your car's a diesel, pay five times as much as if it's electric or something like that. But it's also, if you drive in at 11 in the morning, you get a certain price, okay, which might depend on it being not a diesel. Do you see what I mean? There's a whole, yeah. there's a whole yeah. world there of uh, things. Where, where is it? Where is yeah. it? Nudging, exactly. And if you, yeah. if you drive in at, you know, in peak hour, 
um, maybe you end up paying your, your, your parking all day five times as expensively as if you drove in at 11. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing that people are thinking about and seeing how that can, you know, nudge people. Because, I mean, coming back to my, 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 my point about there being a sort of a, a contradiction between people wanting private individual transport and, and, and ensuring that uh, we reduce emissions rather than increasing them uh, and, and societal changes. Because coming back to the, the thing about getting interested in parking and that and thinking in the beginning it was really boring. I think it's that through parking, you see a whole series of things about how society works. And I think one of the things that we're going to see more of in, in, in parking is, is well, the world of parking and curbside management is, is, is the whole question of logistics and, you know, curbside management and, and, and last mile deliveries and how they're, you know, maybe cargo bikes um, and, and how all of that kind of fits together, you know, is, 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 uh, is going to be very interesting, I think, because, you know, in, if you look at the, the city of Paris, a good example, the, um, the, the, the occupancy levels and the revenue, well, sorry, the occupancy levels in the, in the central car parks in the city of Paris have been going down for the last five years, pre-COVID, right? I mean, now they're obviously devastated, but pre-COVID, they've been going down steadily over the last five, six years. Um, they'd managed more or less the operators to keep the um, uh, revenues uh, up by sort of increasing charges, but then you get to a point where it just falls off a cliff, right? And you know the 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 city of Paris has been making it more and more difficult to drive in by putting in bus lanes and reducing the amount of road that's available by cars. So there's a lot of car parking spaces in the centre of Paris that are underused. Indigo uh, came up with this big study recently about repurposing some of this uh, stuff is like basically building underground cities, if you like, out of some of this uh, stuff. It's, it's going to be quite interesting to see how all that, uh, how all that plays out. You know. I read something about, I think it was a mushroom farm that they were doing in an underground. Yeah. Farm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, it's ideal for mushrooms, isn't it? It's sort of slightly <laughs> damp and dark, you know, but um, the, you don't tend to get an awful lot of money out of mushroom farms. Um, server farms, another one, because um, they, oh, yeah. you know, uh, the trouble with server farms is they need a lot of energy and they also produce a lot of heat. So right. then you've got the question about how you recuperate the heat, but maybe you can use that for local. Because in, in, in Paris, for instance, they have a lot of district heating. You know, they have these huge um, mains that um, move heat around in, in terms of hot water in, in under the city. So, you know, having things that feed into that, that take heat out, whatever. This, this is one of the things that the... Um, uh, the the indigo uh, thing sort of looks at, and who knows, you know, you have underground hotels because I mean, frankly, you know, some of the things here, the Japanese have got things where you get in a drawer, haven't you? You know, reputedly, I haven't been to one of them, but um, it so very comfortable to me, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I've stayed in a couple of hotels in, uh, well, one in London and one in Birmingham that didn't have any uh, any windows, yeah. Right, yeah and it was yeah. one of them. I was a bit surprised the first time, I have to say. But I was very comfortable, you know, sort of in this sort of snug little cabin thing. I mean, it's no more than people go on cruises, and a lot of the people on cruises, you know, sure. they're yeah, yeah. It's a similar yeah, yeah. type of yeah. Why if not? You had enough hospitality, you could probably fall asleep anyway, couldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, that that the whole world of architecture is uh, is an interesting one, isn't it? And how that relates to uh, you know what we do in our societies and whatever, and changing. I mean, the whole thing of sustainability is going to be so huge. I mean, we we, we haven't really used that word. Uh, talked about that too much uh, i mean it's, it's it's been on it's it's kind of on the edge of a lot of what we've been talking about but i mean uh, uh the 
I think it's going to be it's going to be one of the central things that we're going to be talking about in the world of parking and certainly for architects it is these days you know Nigel, it's been an absolute pleasure hearing from your experiences and working with EPA and your ideas around how the uh, the UK parking sector can learn from our European friends. That was nice of you to say. So it was actually uh, it was it was an interesting conversation, at least from my side. We'll see what you guys managed to edit out of it, and uh, whether <laughs> people uh, whether whether people uh, maybe you'll get a whole load of things saying, "Oh, don't want don't want any more of that." That was rubbish, you know, coming in as the response from the listeners. But it was a, it was a fun conversation. Bye. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye.